Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Charlotte Northworthy. In this episode, I talk to Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Nick Childs. He's written a total of 14 books over the course of his 30-year career on African-American life, culture, and celebrity. Childs has served as a newspaper reporter, magazine writer, and magazine and website editor-in-chief during his years in journalism, winning nearly 20 major awards, including, of course, a 1992 Pulitzer Prize as a part of a New York Newsday team. In this episode, we discuss his wide array of work, diversity, or the lack thereof in journalism, and what's next on his pipeline. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership as a part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Now, here's the lead. Nick, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Great. So I'd love to sort of start chronologically here because there are so many layers to your career thus far that are very interesting, and I hope to be able to dive into them. You spent a bulk of your journalism career covering education, dabbling in health and politics, etc. But can you talk about how you first got started in the education beat and why you wanted to stick around in that space for a while? I think like a lot of things in the newsroom, happenstance opportunity. So education was open. It wasn't something that I had planned on covering, had really thought more than five minutes about it, except for being immersed in it for my most of my life up to that point. Newsday was had just moved into New York City from Long Island to open a new paper. The idea was that the Daily News or the Post in New York City, one of them Both were in financial difficulties, kind of presaging, I think, the financial difficulties that everybody would soon be swamped with. And so Newsday was taking a gamble that one of them was going to go out of business, and so there'd be this big opening for a a new paper to slide into. So they moved into the city in the mid-'80s, and so I came along after having been um, at the Dallas Morning News and the Star Ledger in New Jersey for a few years and got this opportunity to do a tryout. And so I did that in New York and I got the job. About a year or two into it, the education beat in Queens opened up. So not covering the entire school system. The school system is the largest in the country. It's a million students. Back then it was a thousand schools. I was good at kind of telling the stories of education there's there's an opportunity for education reporting to be really dry and not very compelling. And I think that's the way a lot of reporters have been approaching it, just kind of like the, the day-to-day incremental changes in the system. But then there are these, I mean, education is in many ways like kind of the kernel that every everything else in our society surrounds. So I knew that it had much more importance and impact on the everyday lives of not just parents, but everybody in the city. Um, And so that's the way that I treated it, kind of trying to tell big picture stories. And so I did really well and eventually became the the lead education reporter and did some really important work. I mean, a colleague and I actually got a school's chancellor fired. Um, You know, we did some pretty good stuff and that's basically how my career was launched. And you were at Newsday when you were on the team that won a Pulitzer Prize, yeah. right? Can you talk a little bit about what that story was? Yeah, it was. It was so Newsday had kind of innovated this this approach to covering 
a breaking news story that at the time was pretty revolutionary where we would devote like a big portion of the paper to the big story to the, of the day. So, and so on this particular day, one of the subway conductors who was drunk failed to adhere to one of the stoplights. And so the subway train came into the station when another train was already there. And there was this enormous collision and lots of people died and people went to the hospital. And so I had to go out to the hospital and interview people who were in the crash and continue to, to send stories back to the reporter who was kind of crafting the whole thing. So we did this big package and we got a Pulitzer as a staff for, for our coverage of that. And so I was, I was still in my 20s at the time. So, you know, I thought I was going to win one of these every year. This is easy, but that was the last one. So, um, you know, and, and I don't really do the kind of work these days, you know, that probably will bring me any more of these. But, you know, it was, it was fun to, to start out so early, you know, with that kind of success. So whenever you transitioned to head up Odyssey Calor and AtlantaBlackStar.com. How was that process of, of now being on the editorial side of things different for you? And what was that transition like from being a reporter and a, and a deep dive heavy reporter into now being at the, at the top of the totem? Well, I had to be concerned about a lot more things than just my little story of the day. Suddenly now I had to care about advertising and that strange balance between editorial coverage and being aware of what we're writing about advertisers, which isn't always comfortable for journalists. I had to do a lot. I had to do a lot of editing. So what we did was we did a, a version for upscale African-American women who had a lot of money and wanted to travel. African-American Latino women kind of wanted to know where places were more amenable to women of color. So what's it like to travel to Bosnia or Beijing or Sydney or all these different places where they were want to go. But I had a lot more things to be concerned about than I did, you know, when I was just a reporter. And you've partnered with several incredible minds to author 14 books. What inspired you to tell stories in that different medium? Again, um, happenstance and opportunity. So I had started writing books with my ex-wife, well, she wasn't my ex-wife at the time, about relationships. So this was, so I had kind of these two parallel career tracks going. So I had the journalism track and then I had the book writing track. And so we did three books on relationships and they did really well. Then we moved into fiction and we started writing novels, kind of using the same tack. She would write the female character in the first person. I would write the male character and we'd go back and forth. So it was, you know, it was kind of somewhat innovative. I mean, there were a few people doing things like that. But when the financial collapse happened in about 2008, I had written, I guess, about six or seven books up to that point. So the publishers were afraid that nobody would ever buy another book. Their response to that was to look to celebrities as kind of a more guaranteed book sale. If they already have an audience, already have a fan base, then we're not going to have as much work to do to tell people about their book. And so because my ex and I were journalists, in addition to very familiar with what it took to, to write a book, they came to us and started asking us to write books with different people and different celebrities. And so over the years, I've written books with um, with Kirk Franklin and Al Sharpton and Bobby Brown and Deval Patrick and Star Jones. And, and so it became a very lucrative and, and fun way for me to, to keep my hand in kind of both worlds. And I was also able to tell a lot of stories that were important to me about 
African-American males and so black boys in, in relationships and um, the criminal justice system and things that, you know, I was able to get into some really interesting issues doing these books and which I'm still doing. Then I moved into agenting. So I'm still trying to figure it out. But one thing that's been interesting is that as far as we know, I am, and I've, I've been still asking a lot of people around the country, I am the only African-American male literary agent in the United States right now, which is kind of astounding, but it, is. it appears to be true. Diving into that a little bit more and the you know issue of, of diversity just in writing, both in journalism and now your experience in writing, what is your take on it? You know, what what has been your experience being a African American writer covering issues that are undercovered in the African American community? And um, how has that transitioned over your thirty plus year career? Yeah, it's it's tough. I'm actually teaching a course at Princeton this semester that kind of deals with a lot of this stuff about examining the other in our society and as writers. Most of these industries are businesses, the journalism industry, the publishing industry. These are the industries that I've been involved with for the last 33 years since I got graduated from college. Went to Yale, so let me give a shout out to the Eli's. <laughs> Especially in recent years, the profit motive kind of slams into, collides with a lot of other issues. And often people of color are the ones who suffer in that collision. If you are part of African-American community or Hispanic community, other communities in different places, the newspaper over the years has probably decided that it's not in its financial interest to spend a whole lot of time writing about what's going on in your community. And then we all suffer from, from it because then those communities become communities of others. And so the mainstream community can kind of give a side eye to what's going on there. And many of their problems can be attributed to personal characteristics of that those people in that community instead of structural systemic problems. And I think that the way that the newspapers have approached the issue has contributed to the problem and in, in many ways contributed to where we are now, where everybody is in these separate silos and only seeking news that confirms and affirms your view of the world. I think that when the, the, the writers and journalists have attempted over the years to try to push their organizations to do more to cover these communities, they're often you got pushback or you didn't get warm receptions in the newsroom. And then the same thing happens in the publishing industry. Again, the profit motive, the desire to sell as many books as possible. That means if I'm trying to get as many white people to buy a book as I can, then I am not going to spend a whole lot of resources on the stories of African-Americans or or Latinas or people of color in these communities that the mainstream community may not care very much about. So as this narrative that you are teaching and living um, is changing and as, as your career shifts and now you, um, you mentioned Princeton, you're a Ferris Fellow there and you're, you're teaching students, you're interacting with students who are aspiring writers. So what is some advice that you have as a, as a final question that you have for future student writers of color going into, they're approaching the field, they're about to graduate. What advice do you have from your perspective? Well, the, the, the beauty of the moment that we are in now is that the barriers to entry in all of these different fields that I've been talking about are much, much lower. So in order to be a pretty successful reporter at a large newspaper before, 
you had to go through a whole lot of hoops to get there and it took a while in order to to be an author there were even higher walls that you had to scale in order to you for you to be able to tell stories that you felt were important we don't have the, that case anymore now you can literally start something in your living room with a couple of your friends and it could become incredibly successful if it has the right formula if you kind of understand social media and how to draw an audience. So my my advice would be that you should find things that are very important to you, stories that you feel are not being told or not being told properly, and dive into it and become an expert in that area. Use your passion to to push you to know everything there is to know and start something on your own or try to approach existing organizations and show them that they're missing the ball by not covering this this thing that you have determined is incredibly important to society. We are in this place now where people are no longer are sharing the same information. So when I came up in journalism, everybody was reading the same story. So there wasn't this illusion of this being the real story and these other stories being fake news and all. We were all kind of sharing the same news. We were all watching the same evening news broadcast, all reading the same newspapers, sometimes to the detriment of people who are outside of the mainstream whose stories were not being told. But now you have the opportunity to create your own organizations or, 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 or places where you can tell your stories. But you have, we then now have to start figuring out ways that we're going to nudge people outside of their comfortable space and to start learning about people who are different than they are. So that is the challenge, I think, for the next generation to figure out how to do the things that they have started to do really well online, but to make these stories important to people who don't necessarily look like them or share their point of view so that we can kind of get back to all of us starting to to share the same truths and to understand the same stories and to understand what it is to be American from the perspective of people who are in other groups. And so I think that that the writers, the journalists, the thinkers who can come up with those models for the future will be doing society a huge service, but also be doing themselves a huge service because their stories will then be picked up and will be able to influence a lot more people. So. That's the advice I have to find something that you love and that you're good at and just dive into it. Nick, thank you so much for being here. This was really great. Thank you. I loved it. Thanks for listening to The Lead. I'm your host, Charlotte Norsworthy. This episode was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more episodes with interesting media leaders, subscribe to The Lead on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Until next time.